thank you, Trevor. And for what you're doing in our neighbor, it's quite, quite often we forget that we're a region, aren't mm -hmm. we? And that what happens to one part of the, the region is going to have an, ha does have an impact to another part of the region. But do you, do you regret going home? No, not at all, uh, uh, Alec. Absolutely not. It's, um, so it's tough, Alec. Um, let me give you a, a, a picture of um, what a lot of people have to deal with. Uh, you get up in the morning, there's no electricity. The majority of uh, Zimbabweans, uh, perhaps even the richest, don't have water, running water in their homes. Uh, they buy water. Water gets delivered to their homes. So water is not there. Uh, electricity is a problem. You get out of your, your gate to drive. We've got the worst potholes. <laughs> I was saying to my wife when we, when we, when we were driving, uh, my wife we were discussing and saying, you know, Alex sent an email saying they're potholes. Seriously? <laughs> Are these potholes? We have real potholes. Um, so if, if you want to see proper potholes, come, come to Zimbabwe. So life is, life is, a, is a pain. Um, you, the things that you take for granted um, in societies that work are a mission to, 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 to get to happen in Zimbabwe. You know, we have a saying that it's as if ZANU-PF, every time we go to bed, they gather together to say, how do we fix Zimbabweans tomorrow? Um, how do we mess up their lives? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a struggle. But would I be anywhere else in the world? Absolutely not. I think the thing for us and for me is, having been here, Alec, for 18 years, I mean, I, I had a good life here um, for 18 years, but watching my country go down the way it's been and not doing anything, um, I have held the unction, the burning desire to be in there and do something um, that will change things. And um, accepting the appointment by President Nangago to serve in the PAC was for me saying, if I say no and I stay on the sidelines and I just criticize, so what is it that I want to, to, to happen at the end of the day? So I accepted. But now I have a clear conscience. I accepted, I served, I saw just how impossible it is that uh, politicians have their minds made up. It's not about the people. It's about them. It's about their interests and, and it's about their narrow interests. And if you think you can get in there and change, then dream on. What about going into politics yourself? I've tried it, Alec, and uh, I think the truth is uh, my wife, um, uh, it's interesting that there are themes that uh, run across, you know, from uh, going to the North Pole, <clears throat> the, first, the first talk on um, uh, when, we, when we came in. No, my wife said, try it and see what happens. So I did try um, to support, first of all, our first Minister of Finance, Simba Makoni, and then... Um, Gosana um, Moyo, who was our Minister of Industry and, and, and Commerce, because I thought that, and I still believe, that ZANU-PF does not have what it takes to get Zimbabwe where we want to go. Uh, the opposition, sadly, is a, it's, it's, it's a mirror image of ZANU-PF. They are smaller, but basically what they want to do is to get in and do what uh, ZANU-PF uh, is doing. They will say, oh, no, we're not violent and so forth, but I see nothing. In, 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 um, Zanopi, in MDC, rather, that would say to me, let me throw my all in there. So I tried, but there's a fascinating thing. Um, uh, Helen is, is gone. 
there's this fascinating thing about the DNA of people that get into politics, <laughs> uh, which I just found so disagreeable, uh, where you say to yourself, we are in this thing to see if we can uh, turn things around. But if I know, actually, we are in this thing to see if we can you know, have a cut, have a share. It's uh, create an opportunity for our time. It's our time to eat. And we're seeing that as far as Mnangagwa is concerned. We thought Mnangagwa was concerned about the, 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 the lot of Zimbabweans, when in actual fact, he and his people around him, and his tribe, the Karanga, uh, who have been uh, not happy that the Zuzuri have been ruling for a long time, it's now their time tend to eat, and that's what it's all about. And for me, Alec, uh, and we see this happening in, 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 in South Africa, and all over the region. For me, that will not deliver the new Zimbabwe that we want. We need a new politics. We need a politics that is driven by values, by principles. We need a, a new politics that is driven by constitutionalism, that is driven by rule of law, that is driven by the love of humanity and what is best among us, that is driven by the love of uh, the orphans, the widows, uh, the poor amongst us. What's the best thing to do in a country to ensure that those people are taken good care of? You run the country well, you run the businesses well, you earn taxes from, uh, from, from business, you allow business to do what business is supposed to how, do. How did H.H. Chalema change things in Zambia? Because I'm sure if you go back a few years, you would have said, well, Zambia, same situation that Zimbabwe's in now. And if you can apply those lessons, or is it possible to apply those lessons to them? It is possible, and I think the underlying um, thing there is patience. HH has been very patient, point number one. But point number two, look at the man. Um, he's a chartered accountant. He's got a track record. He has run something. He has run a successful business. Uh, how can you get somebody who's never run a tax shop to run a country, for goodness sake? Okay? It's not possible. I mean, we underrate the importance of experience, the importance of exposure, the importance of the right values in the person who says they want to raise their hand to lead. So HH, I think, his person, what he has done in the past, has infused in him the experience and the worldview that will help him uh, get on. But look at the people that HH is, at, is, a, is appointing. He's appointing professional people, Zambians who are professional, who've, who've done things, who've got a track record. My sense is that he will get it right. My sense is that uh, uh, if, if the forces of evil <laughs> don't come in and push him right, Zambia could be a place to, 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 to look forward to. Now, I know a lot of people in this audience are, are thinking, oh, bugger, a lot of what you've spoken about is what has been repeated here in South Africa. The, the uh, ramaphoria, and I don't know what you called it in Zim, ngagwaphoria, <laughs> it caught us all up. I remember seeing him at the, at the uh, World Economic Forum at that, when he'd just been appointed, and there were lines of people, big businesses all over the world, wanting to meet this new, this new CEO of Zimbabwe Incorporated. We're open for business as per what Ramaphosa said here. Ramaphoria seems to have died down, not as badly as what happened to the North. But what is it, what are the, 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 the steps that could be taken in a South Africa 
to ensure that what has happened in Zim is not repeated here. You know, you remind me, I, I got into big trouble in 2002 when I, uh, when we first came into this country. 2002, I, I, I said to South Africans, be careful, I can see the zonification of the ANC. And I got into big trouble. Uh, driving to my office, uh, there were headlines, uh, to the mail and garden, there were headlines that say, Trevor in hot soup. And the ANC was very angry with me. Um, and I've been saying, Alec, that Zimbabwe becoming what it has become does not happen overnight. It's a process. Um, and this has been happening in South, in South Africa. The undermining of institutions, the elevation of people that should not be in certain position. Cadre deployment means that you're not getting the best people to run, uh, to run the country. The, I'm one of those people that got excited about Cyril Ramaphosa. But I think a generous part of me says Cyril is being patient in managing the ANC because if he rocks the boat, um, maybe these people might jettison him out. They might recall him. Maybe that's a generous part of me. The other part of me says he's lost time in terms of stamping his authority on the ANC and let what happens, happens. My sense is that there's too much uh, desire on his part for consensus to get everybody on board. There's lack of decisiveness on his part. He's a good man. He means well. He's, he's done good stuff. But I th you know, the disappointment is he does not make decisions. He does not act. He's not decisive. And those around him have noticed that. Uh, but sadly, as that is happening, South Africa is going down the drain. Um, I, I am worried about where South Africa is right now. I am worried about the things that South Africans think are important uh, and the focus on things that we have done that have not worked. Um, forced taking of farms from white people is a no-no, it doesn't work. It's very damaging. Should farms should uh, there be land reform? Absolutely. Because there can't be justification for one race uh, owning biggest chunks of land when there are people who don't have land. But let's not make the mistake of saying that every black person is a farmer and must be given land because that's, that's not true. So the land reform is going to happen, first of all. There's got to be a market mechanisms of deciding um, with the value of the land that, is, that has been taken over. And who is it being, give, being given to? Is it being given to people that can farm or not farm? Because at the end of the day, we were called the breadbasket of Southern Africa. We are no longer. But you can see the evidence. If you drive from Harare to Bulawayo, you can see some of the most productive farms that are now lying fallow because they were given to people that thought they could farm. But cannot farm. So I do see things and trends that we saw happening in Zimbabwe, which South Africans should be looking at and saying, there are lessons there for us. I am concerned. When Helen outlined the political situation in South Africa, it, a lot of things seemed to make sense, well, made sense to me for the first time. But is it as simple as that? Do we have this morass of the ANC, the zanu ANC, 
uh, which doesn't really have a policy and doesn't really know where it's going, but it was a liberation movement. And then you've got a, a one side of the spectrum saying free market, open economy, open society, and the other side saying centralization, mm. uh, control, and big man of Africa kind of replication. Do you, was she being simplistic, or, or how would you interpret that? I think in broad terms, she's right. There's, there's, that, there's that tension, the, the leftists and what you'd call the liberals on the other, on the other, on the other side, people who are invested in, um, in, in taking over companies, the economy, uh, nationalizing the central bank, and so forth. For what, for what reason? And people that believe that the market forces ought to take place. Where I think uh, Helen and a lot of my white compatriots get things wrong, and fatally so, is where Helen says there isn't a black vote. That's wrong. There is a black vote. Until the DA and white South Africans understand the issues that are keeping South Africans from going en masse to vote for DA, we will have South Africa, we will have the fight for the soul of South Africa being the ANC and EFF, not the DA. Okay? So it's fundamentally important for white South Africans to understand that there is something called the black vote. That is legitimate concerns that arise from apartheid. Take time to understand what those concerns are and embrace those concerns because they are the lived experiences of black people in this country. Until you're able to do that, sadly, EFF, with the demagogue that it has and everything else that they are talking about, has more chance of running this country than the DA. At our very first business conference, uh, our opening keynote was made by Herman Mashaba. It was ahead of the uh, local elections. Herman certainly cut uh, or, or touched a lot of uh, very sweet spots in the audience that was listening to him and made a lot of sense. What Helen has, not by saying it directly, but, but really the interpretation from the DA, which has been around for a long time, is that Herman is too close to the EFF. He wants to do deals with the EFF just to get the ANC out. If you could advise Herman, if he phoned you up, he was sitting here as a member of our, our delegates, as he was two conferences ago, and you had that discussion with him over a cup of tea, what, what would you be able to take from your experiences and understanding of Zimbabwe that could help mm. uh, to take this country in potentially a different direction if he were to, to continue to grow as he has done so quickly? Uh, the, the, I'm just amazed at how um, Hammond, from where he comes from, thinks he can do a deal with people in the EFF. Because the, for me, his point of departure and the point of departure of the uh, EFF are radically different. Um, and th and so therefore, I don't see what accommodation could be achieved there. I do see yeah, he's, if he was moderated um, and, and uh, liberal, uh, looking for a bigger space for business, him engaging with moderate people and reasonable people within the ANC to win that middle ground, there could be, there could be progress there. I am, I've been a big fan of Emin Mashawa, but not of late, because I think, um, uh, what is it called? Action for South Africa, action, uh, action, action borders on uh, wanting to trade in to traffic in xenophobia. 
um, the focus of the people that are around him in Mashaba, uh, people that think that Nigerians and Zimbabweans are responsible for the problems that South Africa is experiencing. That is wrong. That is wrong. It's xenophobic and it's going to deliver terrible consequences for this country. For, so for, for that issue for me, it says, if this man can make a fundamental mistake like this, why should I trust him going forward? I guess it almost feels like the ANC is now picked up from the popularity of Action SA and almost they've written xenophobia into law. You, you, we've got new quotas, yeah. which is unprecedented in this country. Is that also something in the same context? It, it is, and um, sadly, Alec, um, and we don't, we're not demanding the ANC to pay back Africa for having accommodated them. Uh, during the liberation struggle, but we, you know, common sense um, of saying, you know, your, your, the policies that you're talking about right now, uh, let me just step back and say, you have now, you have uh, Tabombeki and other people in the ANC who spend a lot of time on the African continent. The most amazing thing is that you rarely hear, you, you, you'll hardly hear these guys talk about their experiences on the continent. It's as if they're embarrassed to be African. And that being South African makes them different, uh, different Africans of some sort. It's populist, it's not leadership. It's dangerous, it's demagoguery um, to, 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 to do that kind, of, that kind of stuff. This is not the ANC of Nelson Mandela. This is a different kind of ANC. And for me, in t if, I was, if I was doing an analysis, I would say this leadership does not embody the, uh, the democratic principles, the values of uh, uh, a human uh, rights-based culture, uh, uh, community of nations and, and neighborliness and that kind, of, that kind of stuff. This is a different kind of ANC. There's a lot of uh, un unnecessary uh, demagoguery. There's a lot of uh, playing to the gallery rather than providing leadership. Let me remind South Africans that at one time Nelson Mandela stood at FNB uh, Stadium after the, the murder of uh, Chris Honey and the people in the stadium wanted something else to be done. Nelson Mandela stood up and said, if I'm still your leader, you will not do that. People mumbled and sat down. That is leadership. Leadership is being able to take unpopular positions because you have a long-term view. Playing to the gallery is not leadership. It's what you and I can do. We can play to the gallery. We, we forget so easily, don't we? Chris Harney's murder uh, could have made the July riots last year look like a, a yeah. picnic. Yeah. And, and it was only leadership that prevented that. We're going to go to the floor now. So if you put your hands up, a, a microphone will come through. Uh, will be brought to you. But Trevor, my, my, my kind of final question here is, can you give us some, some signposts to watch within South Africa that it is heading in a Zimbabwean direction? And I, I, I use this now from a comp trying to get a completely neutral observer who's saying, I have to provide for my family, for my family's wealth. I have exported capital or I would export more capital if I see these warning signs coming through. What should we be looking out for? I think I agree with uh, Helen's um, assessment that um, watch who becomes the pre deputy president. 
and if uh, the current deputy president uh, um, re remains as, as, as president, then I would worry big time. I said that a, a couple of years before Jacob Zuma came in, that if this man comes into office, um, then South Africa is headed the wrong direction. For, so for me, that's one science, science, science uh, thing to watch out for. If the issue about um, compulsory acquisition of land sees the light of day in parliament or whatever, and from what I'm seeing, if this demagoguery and the radicalism um, and playing to the gallery is the currency, then this thing might actually, you know, happen in, in, in Parliament because, you know, EFF and the ANC might have uh, the, ab the ability to do that. Once that happens, then you know that, that uh, the, the, the signposts are saying you, you're, you're, crossing, you're crossing the Limpopo and doing, doing so fast. If uh, the radicalism for me around issues that are not the cause for why South Africa is where, where it is right now, um, like action for, for South Africa. Uh, if, if that xenophobic thing, there's an amazing thing for me that they, the, there's a xenophobia in South Africa, but everybody says, no, it is not xenophobia, it's, it's criminality. If you see more of that happening, then the future of this country for me um, is, is very close to, to being what Zimbabwe is, if, if not worse. For me, the frightening thing is that this is a big economy. The stakes are higher. So what happened in Zimbabwe could turn out to be, if there is no right leadership to um, hold this country forward, the leadership within the level of uh, a Nelson Mandela, somebody who is prepared to make unpopular decisions because it's important for the majority of the people, a leader who wants to please the majority uh, at the expense of the long-term interests of the country, is a leader that's going to put South Africa in terrible position. And the, the good, si good signs, what would be a sign that we are heading in a more optimistic direction? When uh, Suru Ramaphosa came in, I, was, I, I breathed a sigh of relief. I said, wow, finally, South Africans are, um, are headed in the, in the right direction. But things have not happened that way. We need, for me, to take comfort and say things are happening, we need to begin to see the moderate uh, human rights-based culture, the stop in, the, in attacking the Constitution. There's a lot of that happening. And um, the attack of the Constitution saying it's not ours, it was given to us by, by the whites and, and, and so forth, that is, that, that, that is dangerous. We need to see more of the middle ground, more of what I'd call reform-minded members of the ANC, uh, you know, coming to the front. We need to see more of uh, the Sipo Pichanas, for instance, uh, reasonable people that care about this, this country, that have got the long-term in interests of this country. What chance of that happening? Uh, I think it's a 50-50, it's a because at the end of the day, this is not the fight for democracy is again what we've seen on the continent whose turn is it to eat questions would you like to raise your hands or are you happy for me to continue I'm very happy to continue there's a question in the front here please Daryl 
Sheva. Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Daryl. Just one question I'd like to ask you. One of the cornerstones of any economy is education. And Zimbabwe's got a, well, had, had or has a, an incredible reputation in terms of the education of its people with the um, A-levels and O-levels, just to mention some. And where is Zimbabwe now relative to that? Because I think education will play an underlying or a very important role going forward to the prosperity of any country. Um, the Robert Mugabe's revolution, I mean, you might hate the man or like the man, but one thing that he did was uh, he impacted positively on Zimbabwe through his education policy and through his health policy, ensuring that there is a, cl a clinic within walking distance of every village um, and within suburbs and you know, expanding education, free education uh, to, to the majority of the, of the population. That is being reversed at a, at a, at a very high speed. Uh, and you will notice that um, uh, the quality of the schools has deteriorated quite significantly. Teachers are leaving. Uh, education as a sector and as a profession does not have the same respect that it has. Investment in education in Zimbabwe has declined quite significantly compared to uh, the, the, the other sectors, which explains why uh, I didn't mention, you know, uh, we now have almost every year uh, teacher strikes uh, because teachers are not being given uh, the remuneration that's, that's, that's important for them to keep on, to keep on teaching. So education is, is important. Uh, the thing with, with uh, Robert Mugabe is that he educated Zimbabweans. I think he realized down the line, he actually, if, if, if he actually said at some point that uh, these people are too clever and too educated, he then realized the danger of an educated uh, population. And when you've educated people and you've not been able to create, to allow an environment for public, a free enterprise rather, to create jobs, those people become a threat uh, they begin to be uh, potential to destabilize society, but much more in a negative way. They have options to go to should things get bad within the country. And we've seen a lot of Zimbabweans. I mean, the, the most, most Zimbabweans run the financial sector in South Africa. They are all over the, all over the world. We've lost uh, quite, quite a lot of people. So the, the, the quick answer to your, to your question is uh, it, it isn't what it used to be. But the worrying thing for me, uh, and I think this is important, is I say that the biggest challenge that any leader that comes into Zimbabwe right now has is not infrastructure, it's not the economy, it's this. How are you going to turn around the culture of, I don't have a farm, I want a farm, I can walk into Trevor's farm and get it? How are you going to reverse the culture that I don't agree with you, you are my enemy, I can kill you, I can murder you? Headlines right now in Zimbabwe are um, opposition member, Tendai Biti, who used to be our Minister of Finance, who is our neighbor. Um, people with machetes uh, uh, went to his place yesterday and beat up his security guard and stuff and, and they went away. How do you reverse that mentality? That disagreeing does not mean that you are my enemy and I wish you dead. It's going to take a lot of work. This is for me why uh, I'm disenchanted when I see the quality of leadership that we have there. Because it's not just about roads and infrastructure, it's how do we get back what we had at, ind at independence? 
uh, where we valued life, where we respected each other, where we gave each other way on the roads. If you drive in Harare right now, the chaos is something else. If you believe that you drive on the left-hand side and suddenly you see somebody coming from the other side, on your side, that's what's happening in Zimbabwe now. How do you reverse that? So there's been a social engineering of who is a Zimbabwean. Um, when we went back to Zimbabwe in 2017, Alec, and we, my wife and I were like, you guys, what, what are you doing? And people say, don't worry, in two years' time we'll be doing what we are doing. Are you? Oh, I find myself doing it. <laughs> uh, Alec, Trevor, not a question exactly. Allow me a remark on the land issue and how the Republic of Namibia has handled land reform. It might be of interest. I've been a farmer in Namibia, and I'm now in retirement. I've been a president of the Namibia Agriculture Union for four years, and uh, I'm pretty conversant with what has happened there. Namibia had, since 1995, a law requiring all commercial farmland that was for sale to be offered to government first. Government would go and inspect and see whether it was suitable for what they call resettlement, or they would issue, if they don't wanted the land, a waiver, and then the land could be sold on the free market. Within uh, the last, well, it's what, 17, 27 years now, we've had from 36 million hectares of commercial land, 36 million hectares of commercial farmland, 15 million hectares have changed ownership basically from white hand into black hand, without a single farm having been expropriated without compensation, but the vast majority of that land has been bought against market price. Government was prepared and still is prepared to buy against market price. What we have seen, and this is where we have come in from the Agriculture Union with supportive programs, we've seen a dramatic drop in productivity of that land. There's no doubt about it. And the big issue is, and that's where we are trying to assist, to raise the level of competence of the new farmers to make them equally or nearly equally productive as their former white Namibian farmers have been. But the big issue I want to emphasize here is through that clever management by government, the steam has been taken out of the, out of the pot. And land issue as such, commercial land issue, I'm not talking about uh, serviced municipal land, that's a big issue. But commercial ownership of commercial farmland is not really an issue anymore in Namibia. Thank you. Mm. Thank you very much. And I think it once again shows that we have so much to learn from not just each other, but in, in a national sense from, from, the, from the region. Yeah. I, I've got a different question while we wait for the next one. Can I just chip in on that? Of course. The, the, I mean, obviously, because of time, the, the, the situation in Zimbabwe, as far as land is concerned, actually, it's, it's, um, it's worrying because the, the, la the, the land expropriation in Zimbabwe continues against black farmers and white farmers. Okay? That's what people need to understand. Land expropriation in Zimbabwe continues. The land invasions are still, are still continuing. He, and here's the thing. So you, Zimbabwe, in Zimbabwe, you have 99 year leases, not title deeds. 
And as a result, the banking sector is not funding agriculture because there's no, there's no collateral. But much more importantly than that, it has been left an open-ended thing whereby, as we're talking, I mean, maybe the last land invasions were about six or nine months ago. So it's an ongoing thing. The land issue remains a blank check that any future politician will sign when they want uh, polit political su support from, from whatever section. What's required is an act of parliament, similar to the act of parliament that says there should be land expropriation, that says there will no more be land expropriation from now on. We need something of that sort. As we sit here, in as much as I've, I've outlined to you the crops that are available, uh, the, the good things that are available as far as agriculture is concerned, the ownership of land is still an issue that's out there. And the banks, the financial sector is saying, land in Zimbabwe is not bankable. You can't bring it to us as collateral. What does that do to the long-term uh, uh, nature of, uh, of, of agriculture and investment in farming? While we're waiting for, ah, uh, there is a question in the front there. There's another one over there. And one, sorry, this side, okay. JP, you can start. Thank you, Alex, and <coughs> thanks for an interesting presentation. Just three, two quick um, comments and then a question. Uh, I think I've noticed Helen is back, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that you've um, brought us back to, to reality um, with emphasizing um, black nationalism as a, as a political reality in your comment about the DA versus the EFF in... Uh, in Ellen's Triangle. That's the, that's the first thing. And as far as changing mindsets is concerned, I think there's no better example than Rwanda. Uh, we had the opportunity to visit the country and what was a lot more impressive than the guerrillas was um, leadership in Rwanda that used two of Helen's principles, accountability and discipline, rule of law. And I think that is, um, that is the crux. And now the question is, is there a difference between enforcing discipline and xenophobia? Mm. I, I think there's a big difference, you know. I, I, like you, my wife and I have visited Rwanda, very impressive. Uh, and I read uh, the country of uh, many hills, I can't remember, uh, uh, President Kagame's book. But there's a change of mindset, but underneath in Rwanda, there's fear. And the biggest question I have is, how sustainable is what President Paul Kagame doing? Would what he's done and set in motion survive him? And the big, my answer to that question is, I doubt it, because there are ethnic factors uh, that are associated with that forced, forced uh, uh, compliance or forced change, as, as it were. So I'm really concerned about Rwanda and the sustainability of the momentum that uh, President Kadame has set in place. Is what he has done uh, good and something to be, to be copied? For as long as it is not forced, for as long as it is inclusive, and the sense that it's not inclusive, it's, it's benefiting a certain ethnic group, uh, therefore creating the same reasons 
why we had the genocide uh, earlier on. So I'm concerned about the, Rwanda, the Rwanda experience. I admire what they're doing right now, but I always, I always ask myself, how sustainable is this? What will happen when, when uh, President Kagame is gone? Maybe those are unjustified concerns. History might prove me wrong, and I hope it does. Cape independence. Sorry? Cape independence. <laughs> Wow, I, I didn't see that coming. Okay, and I'll, I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from ethnicity, it comes from Gagwa looking after his people, mm. his group. It comes from the July riots where it was Zulu people. We heard here from Jason McCormick, who's uh, at, at BNC3, where his shopping centers were attacked. They went into it. We had the same story from Gigi Alcock, who is a, a Zulu with a white skin. Uh, ethnicity mm. is strong. Uh, the Cape Independence people say, if you take the Western Cape, they've never voted. Mm. Well, maybe not never, but they certainly haven't for a long time voted for the ANC. So why should they be subjected to mm. policies that are made by people with whom they have very little in common, mm. politically? Yeah. So what, what would your thought, from all, everything you know, and mm. you're in a beautiful position here, mm. you know South Africa, you... you you obviously know Zimbabwe. You know the differences in Zimbabwe between the south and the north. Yeah. You know, the, the, I think the, 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 my starting point, Alec, could be, is it possible to look at the issues that the people asking for Cape independence are agitating about? What are the issues? Can those issues be addressed within uh, the unitary South African state, which I think they can be? I think the Cape Independence Movement, uh, for me, uh, is predicated on the disenchantment with what central government is doing. Um, and what South Africa re really needs right now is a united South Africa that is led by uh, like I said, a visionary principled leadership that cares about the interests of all South Africans. Ethnicity, I mean, we're seeing the provincialism that is, you know, rampant throughout the world, uh, that we're all returning to our, our, our tribal uh, uh, small clique groups, but that's not going to deliver uh, the future that South, Af South Africa wants. My thing would be, it's unwise, um, the right thing to, to do would be to address the issues, that the legitimate issues that the people in Cape Town are raising. What are those issues? They're centrally, they're governance issues. Why can't those governance issues be addressed within a, a unitary state? I see more disadvantages than advantages of, of having a, an independent Cape Town. I mean, my wife would love to go there and drink more wine, but uh, it wouldn't be a sustainable option. <laughs> Lost a lot. Oh, oh, Helen, I knew you were back. Okay, we'll 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 pass. Sorry, let's. let's I'll be. I, I'll be I, I, no, sorry. I'm going to give the mic to Helen if you don't mind. Okay. okay. Here we go. No, no, we got no time left. We got 55 seconds, so you got a 10-second question. All right. I don't know what um, Mr. Ngobe said, <laughs> but I can imagine what he said. He said there is something like black nationalism. It is real. It is powerful. We have to take account of it. Of course, it is. So is white nationalism. But the point is we have to be the alternative. We cannot play in that space. We tried once, it was fatal. And we did a course correction. The point is that South Africa can only work if we judge each other 
by the content and the quality of our character, not the color of our skin. But there are South Africans like Julius Malema who mobilize and whip people up on the basis of racial nationalism, of course, all over the place, we know that. Our critical role is to show that that will fail. And the great thing is that we can win elections on that basis. The reason that I was out here is that I have over 20 coalitions to manage on a daily basis, in which, the, which throw up at least 14 problems a day each, and I have to try and deal with them. But our job is to show the alternative can work, and we've got a demonstration effect. I mean, the Western Cape is almost now an ANC-free zone. When we finish doing our coalitions, in that part of the Karoo that we're working with now and that I've been out on doing now, there'll be one municipality, one, Kanalat, in which the ANC is a minority partner in a coalition with a child rapist, which we won't do a coalition with. So, and that's, that's just true. It's not something that I'm making up or exaggerating. What I say is true. So, the bottom line is this. Of course there's black nationalism. And yes, it's going to be powerful and it's going to win. But so are we winning. And if Julius Malema wins in the Northwest province, I'm sorry for anybody who comes from Potchefstroom or anything like that, then we can compare what works and what doesn't work. And over time, the contestation is going to be between the non-racial vision, judging people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, versus the racial nationalism one. And we will have that clear demonstration effect. We dare not play in the space of whipping up racial nationalism. Now, let me just talk about Cape Independence very briefly. We believe in maximal devolution. Where we govern, we want control over the police. We want control of transport. We want control of energy, not to control it, but to open up the space to the market. We believe that the private sector should be running the rail network, and then it would work again. We believe to be the facilitator of the free and open society. And we want to show that demonstration model against the centralized command and control model. And that is why we have that triangle. It is our vision versus the racial nationalist vision. And of course the racial nationalist vision exists, but we dare not play in the space. And the big challenge of the future is 2024 in Gauteng. That's where the big battle for the future is. Will the racial nationalist vision win out there, or will our vision win out there? And that's the battleground, 2024 is Gauteng. And the great thing is we currently have a mayor in all the four metros, Chwani, Mukhali City, Ikuruleni, and Joburg. Fragile coalitions, two minority coalitions, really, really difficult, with even our coalition partners trying to bring us down on a regular occasion. But that's the battle for South Africa. And I'm not ignoring racial nationalism. I just say we dare not play in that space because we are the alternative to that. Thank you for ending, or just about ending that on hope. You mentioned hope. You spoke about hope, hope for the young people, hope perhaps for, for what Stafford Marcy was saying a little earlier about the, the move towards a, a source of value or a store of value mm -hmm. that that is not controllable. From, from what Helen said now, obviously you need to respond. Um, and, and thank you 
uh, for, for going out of the room and going and sorting out some of those coalitions. I think we, we realize what a big job you've got and we realize how, how critical that is. But maybe last word, Trevor. Um, I, I'm, I'm so hopeful uh, for the future of this country, uh, South Africa. Uh, I, th I think there's so much going for this country. But I just want to, a word of caution, that do not take uh, anything for granted. If you snooze, you lose. Uh, there was a time when South Africans were saying, oh, constitution, no constitution. But I think the Jacobism I experienced last time, hopefully it was a wake-up call to say, if you don't fight for uh, your constitution to defend it and so forth, uh, some people are going to grab it, and they've been grabbing, grabbing very, very slowly. When the constitution becomes tainted, and it is, uh, because it's labeled as belonging to somebody else, you've got a problem. So uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, journalism in this country used to be one of the things that I used to be excited about. I'm worried. I mean, the Guptas came into this country and messed up journalism, uh, uh, you know, and all those, those kind of stuff. So they, they, there's a sense of we need to go back to basics and do what we're doing. And uh, well done, Alec, for doing what you're doing. To, to respond to um, uh, Madame uh, Zile's uh, uh, comments, I think what I'm talking about is not, s rather, let me say briefly, Helen, the, I, I get the sense that you don't get what black South Africans are saying are their legitimate concerns. And I genuinely fear that unless those, unless there is a conversation uh, with emotions out of it about what is it that would get black people to rally behind the DA, then I think in the next five years, if you and I had sat down and a cup of coffee, it would be interesting to, uh, to be able to compare notes. I think DA has a future for as long as DA is not dismissive of what Africans say are the issues that they've concerns with with the with the DA. There's a danger of uh, the DA being irrelevant uh, and and preaching to a very minority. If if white people in South Africa don't get that, and 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 get me clearly, uh, uh, Helen, I'm one of those people who absolutely we we need to work together. Uh, it's the content of somebody's character rather than, than, than the, um, uh, their color or anything of that sort. But perceptions are reality. Perceptions are reality. And the DA needs to address the perception that is in the minds of black people as far as politics is concerned. I'll end it there. Thank you very much.